0: main goal and objective in studying the Torah portion each week is to understand the Bible from a Jewish perspective and get the the Jewish input to go along with our Christian input and become Judeo-Christians. Old and new, joining together, as it says over here in the big banner, Ephesians 2.14, it's always been God's goal to make us into one new man. Bringing Christians and Jews together. And so, uh, yeah, we're combining the wisdom of God in the Old Testament and uh, with the revelation of, Uh, that God has given us out of the New Testament, uh, and uh, it uh, just makes for a better Christian life. Who wants a better life? We all do, of course, and so uh, this is one of the ways to accomplish that. So we're in Torah study number 17 this week. uh, In Exodus 18 to 20, Uh, the Uh, Torah studies entitled Jethro, or in Hebrew, Yitro, Uh, and it's one of the most important of all the Torah portions because God uh, gives Israel the very first edition of the Bible. The Torah, the first five books of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and by extension, the uh, 613 commandments that our Jewish brothers and sisters uh, teach that God gave at uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, There's an interesting equation uh, that the 613 Torah commandments plus the seven commandments that uh, God gave to Noah, the Noahide laws, equals 620, the exact number of letters that are in the Hebrew version of the Ten Commandments that God gave. Isn't that something? Ah, just a coincidence. (laughs) Praise God. So, uh, uh, God gave the first edition of the Bible... Uh, And it's a living word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Starting in Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. It's all a living word. Now certainly you can uh, just live by the letter and the letter killeth and forget to add the spirit. It's the spirit that brings life. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, bring the spirit of it. Uh, There's an old ancient Jewish proverb uh, that uh, basically says, let me see where I wrote that down in one of my footnotes here. Strictly follow the law but don't follow the law strictly. <laughs> okay, uh, let's uh, go, go and figure that one out. <clears throat> but uh, uh, so, uh, God knew that as good as the miracle of salvation was for Israel coming out of Egypt, that salvation coming out of Egypt breaking free from the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, that's a miracle. that uh, in e- That's amazing grace. Amen. Uh, but as good as it was for Israel to taste that salvation and deliverance, coming out of Egypt was only a beginning stage of a lifelong process. Next, God needed to work with them, just like He needs to work with you and I after the altar call, after we make that confession of faith. God's not done with us. He's just beginning. It's a whole new world. And God works with us not to get us out of Egypt. That, boom, that's done. But now... I need to get Egypt out of you. I need to get that sin mentality, that slave mentality, that Egyptian me- nothing against our Egyptian friends. <laughs> need to get that out of our spirit and soul. Renew the spirit of our minds. Renew ourselves to a new way of living, a new set of values, a new set of divine principles. We, were, we didn't have that in the world. The devil had his set of values. You see it on full display in America today. Right? What a culture war. So renewing your mind is how you move forward. Okay, Um, Yeah, you're saved, but there's more. Yeah, there's eternal life, but there's also abundant life. There's more. And God is saying, I want you more than just being set free. I want to teach you how to live free. And then, as that builds momentum in your life, Israel, believer, Christian believer... I want you then to be a shining light, an example that this stuff really works. (laughs) It ain't just preaching. (laughs) I'm not just preaching here. I'm telling you the truth. And that's why God uh, got Israel out of Egypt and sent them on a journey to Mount Sinai. Because He's going to give them the Bible. He's going to give them the Torah. And... There's a a renewed interest in these last days of Christians discovering the blessing of the Torah. Right? We were taught it's all legalism. But really, uh, that's just kind of uh, the uh, uh, anti Jewish replacement theology narrative. You got to say something to discredit your opponent. And and they, uh, they have been saying it for 1,900 years. So, God had a plan not just to set them free, but to teach them how to live free. And that plan is still in effect today. Why do Christians struggle? Because they haven't moved from the cross to the tomb. They haven't moved from... Uh, being saved to working out their salvation and not understanding the process of redemption that God gives us. And it's pretty detailed. Right? This isn't elementary, my dear Watson. Right? This is, okay, now that you're saved, let's get our master's degree. Who has a master by the name of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Get your master's degree, and uh, that means we gotta use our thinking, our brain, and some of that brain needs to be washed. Yeah, we need to be brain washed. Washed all that bad stuff that we learned before Christ, and even in traditional religion, a lot of times they'll teach you there's no such thing as miracles. Breaking Christian news. There is a miracle woman standing, sitting here in Torah study this morning, Miss Lorraine, who overcame death and overcame disease and overcame uh, a lot of very difficult challenges. And she's walked in today healed and whole and we give God all the praise and glory. But if you're in some... Uh, traditional denominations, uh, that was just luck, I guess. (laughs) How many of you want to believe in the power of God, His miracles? How many of you want to uh, uh, believe in luck? (laughs) You were just lucky, I guess. So, uh, God came to Moses early on, even before He came face to face with Pharaoh, And he reveals an ultimate purpose. And if you go all the way back uh, into Exodus 3.12, Moses sees a burning bush. And uh, it's here that God says to him, he gives him a mission of sorts, I will be with you, Moses. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Yeah, see, so you're seeing a dual component. It's not just, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. I'm bringing you out of Egypt for a purpose. So you will come to a mountain. You'll have a mountaintop experience. And we all know what happened at that mountaintop experience 50 days later after Passover. Bam! Bam! the first edition of the bible is impressed on the hearts and minds and souls of the hebrews as i was studying this I, well what 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 is he talking about the sign and so I kind of dug into that a little bit and found something interesting to share with you that uh, came from the great late Rabbi Rashi from uh, the medieval days. He said, "This vision which you have seen." He's interpreting Exodus 3:12. This vision that you have seen in the thorn bush is the sign for you that it was I who sent you, and that you will succeed in my mission. And And that I am able to save you. Just as you, and here's the part just as you saw the thorn bush performing my mission and not being harmed, so you will go on my mission and not be harmed. Do you see that? The miracle of the burning bush. Not being consumed was God doing an illustrated sermon for Moses. It was a sign to Moses and a sign to the people uh, that in the same way you're going to stand before Pharaoh, you, you're miraculously not going to be consumed by Pharaoh. Amen. Pharaoh couldn't wa- His enemies, Moses' enemies, Pharaoh's like at the top of uh, the, the food chain. Yeah? But uh, God taught Moses and said, I'm going to show you how to swim with the sharks without being eaten alive. (laughs) And through you, Moses, I'm not only going to set the captive free, but I have an ulterior motive here. I want to bring Israel into a deep relationship with me I'm going to give you revelation of my word. And it's a living word, a spoken word, a word that I'm going to put down in tablets of stone that I want you to transfer into the, uh, into, uh, 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 internalize it into your heart. And so Mount Sinai uh, is an epic event in Jewish Christian history. Because right there at the base of Mount Sinai, you have hundreds of thousands of souls standing there, and they're engulfed in this epic display. There's shofar blast. There's lightning. There's thunder. There's smoke. There's fire. It's a blazing. It's fire on the mountain. And each individual, 600,000 souls or more, were touched by the presence of God. They all saw it. It wasn't just Moses that saw it. They all saw it. How come Judaism has lasted so long? 3400 when the whole world's trying to destroy him through crusades and edicts and uh, pogroms and, and inquisitions and holocausts and genocide and seeming and somehow the Jews are because it's traced all the way back they they got a national revelation Amen. something that America got somewhere along the way back in the early days right And now, 250 years later, you can see we're trying to undo that revelation. We're trying to change and rewrite the history in order that we will not be like Israel was called to be one nation under God. America was called to be one nation under God. And the devil don't like that. So it was a national revelation as well as a personal revelation because they all put their hand on their heart. I pledge my allegiance to everything that God has just said. What I have witnessed, I pledge my allegiance to for the rest of my life. Anybody here do that when you came to Jesus? I pledge my allegiance to the Lamb of God. Come heaven or high water, come hell or high water. I have made my decision. There's no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Amen. That's faith. Israel demonstrated their faith. We've demonstrated our faith. And, and, and why wouldn't Israel do that? As all of this is unfolding, look at what the Lord says uh, to Moses to tell the people in Exodus 19. They're right there at Sinai. Ten Commandments. All these epic displays of God's power and presence. And in Exodus 19, verse 4, this is from the New Living. You have seen what I did. Moses, tell this to... You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. Did God actually just say that? Yeah. He, He said that. You'll be my own special treasure. From among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. Amen. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Amen. So if Israel enters into this covenant, they're going to become God's beloved treasure Amen. above every other nation. This is why they're, to this day, God's chosen people. Because, in effect, they did receive the covenant. They did pledge their allegiance to the Lord. And, as a result, became a special treasure, as God just said. Many of the great rabbis teach that it's here that God is promising that He's going to personally attend to the affairs of the Jewish people himself he's delegated guardian angels to the other nations but as for Israel my treasured people I'm going to make sure that my hand is upon them and my blessing is upon them myself amen Amen. so obviously the Jews thought "Ah, this is pretty good deal (laughs) I like what I'm hearing This is what I got with Pharaoh. (laughs) Hundreds of years of slavery, oppression, brutality, cruelty, and genocide. And now God's saying, I can have all this? And heaven too? (laughs) And so they accepted it by faith. Look at verses 7 and 8. Exodus 19, 7 and 8. So Moses returned from the mountain. And called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. That's faith. Amen. Amen. And the spiritual consequence of what's happening here actually corresponds to what happened to you and I. When we received the Lord, when we got born again, when God gave us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Romans 9, or excuse me, Romans 10, 9 and 10, says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Amen. That's what Israel did. That's what we've done. Amen. And so it's a shadow of things to come when you study. this. Oh, you really, Israel, uh, they confess with their mouths what they sincere. We will do whatever you command us to do. They didn't really understand what was being commanded of them. So by faith, they just entered into this covenant. They didn't, just like a new convert at the altar, they don't know uh, all the ins and outs of what it means. Uh, but, you know, when you say that sinner's prayer, and you're realizing, uh, I'm changing teams here. <laughs> I'm going from the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of the devil, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's a new set of rules, a new set of values. There's all kinds of new things I need to learn and apply into my life. It's a journey. But God said, I will be there for you. You'll be my treasured possession and I'll see it through. The work I began in you. Amen. Amen. So, The blessing of salvation is not just eternal life, it's abundant life. Ancient wisdom says that when Israel stood before the Lord, that very first Pentecost, that very first Shavuot, it's Shavuot in Hebrew, the Feast of Weeks, God, uh, as it were, issues a writ of divorce from failure, lack, and limits. This is the Jewish teaching. Well, that sounds like legalism. No, it doesn't. (laughs) That sounds like a pretty good deal. That what you learned in Egypt, what you learned as slaves, is a mentality that I'm going to set you free from, and I'm going to show you how to walk uh, free from failure, free from lack, free from the limits of of Egypt, from sin of this world. It goes on to say God will divorce you from the old life. Amen? Amen? You're no longer going to be a slave to the limits of this world, but you become married and a covenant partner, no longer of Egypt, but a covenant partner with an unlimited God. Come on, give me more of that. Let that be my mindset. Amen. Amen. And look, by the way, every Pentecost, every Shavuot, From that date until now and into the future is called an appointed time. All right? And it's a time we renew our commitment, we renew our pledge of allegiance, and we thank the Lord for a fresh outpouring of all that's promised, His wisdom. His prosperity, His blessing, His knowledge, His counsel, His protection, His provision, all of that, may it be poured out on me every Pentecost. A renewing, a refreshing of that unique anointing. Amen. So the blessing of the Torah, what does that mean? Christians were taught the Torah was legalism. Uh, This doesn't sound like legalism. To me, it sounds like I want some more of that. Can I have seconds? Like those donuts in the back. <laughs> Can I have some more of that? I was reading an essay uh, entitled The Secret of Jewish Survival by a rabbi uh, named Rabbi Leff. And uh, he was quoting a uh, rabbi from centuries ago, and, and this is what he wrote. The Jewish nation is only a nation and can only be a nation as a result of the Torah. We're not a nation based on land. The Torah wasn't given to them in Israel, was it? We are not a nation based on language or culture. If ever there would be a time when Jews would stop caring about the wisdom in the Torah, we would cease to be a nation and would quickly disappear to assimilation. I think Christianity could take a lesson or two from from this. You abandon your Christian roots as a nation, what are you going to get instead? Instead. The world at large has only begun to value education and literacy for the masses relatively recently, Rabbi Left writes, around 200 years ago. We don't think about education, public edu- mass education, was, was non existent until around 200 years ago in Western culture. Until then, education was viewed solely as a pursuit for the elites. Many religions had special interest in keeping the masses uneducated so as to avoid questioning the faith. Anybody ever heard of the dark ages in Christianity? Centuries and centuries where the common man could not have access to the Word of God. It was chained to pulpits, and you as a commoner, as a peasant, as a serf, as a have-not, if you dare to learn how to read, if you dare to read the Bible, you have violated the sacred oaths of God, and we'll take care of you. Where's a dungeon? But for the Jews, it was different. God was instituting something with the Torah that had been never was never seen before, and was uh, was never seen until just in the last couple hundred years. That every Jew God was showing them had to know how to read and write in order to study Torah. And to this day, Torah studies the foundation of Jewish life and Jewish survival. Oh, that I wish that every believer in America and around the world would rise up uh, to a new level in their love for the Word of God, in their love and devotion and keeping, not just being a hearer, but being a doer. That's how society changes. It's not like we need more and more laws. Right? We need a change in the people's hearts, and that's where the church comes in. And each individual, as a member of the church, needs to take personal responsibility to love the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the Word. I love the Lord. It goes hand in hand. If you don't love the Word, do you really love the Lord? Jesus echoed this very concept in John 8. In John 8, great chapter, he ultimately says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. This whole process of leaving Egypt and Egypt leaving us is discipleship. And here's the deal, is that God is saying, I want to take you from being a believer in Christ to a disciple of Christ. That's the process. That's the path of redemption. Too many people have stopped at the cross and haven't proceeded to the tomb. Because it's only at the tomb that you learn how to live a resurrected life. God didn't uh, die, Jesus didn't die on the cross so you can die with him and stay dead. <laughs> he died on the cross so that you could be resurrected like him and live a resurrected lifestyle uh, uh, where you are uh, uh, living above all the power of the enemy, all the power of the world, all the power of sin. You're coming against it in your prayer life, in your lifestyle. And you're going from just being, yeah, I believe. Pastor James said the devils believe. <laughs> right? Did he not say that? The devils believe. At least they got the good sense to fear and tremble. Amen. Christians need to have that awakening. We need revival in the land. A passion for the word of God. A dedication. That's discipleship. Now this isn't just a history lesson from the distant past. Because in the not so distant future, we're going to face some things. We already are facing some things. And making a commitment to the Word of God and to the laws of God, including the Ten Commandments, is essential to not only surviving but thriving in the at the end of days. Amen. Now, how can I say that? Because I read the book. <laughs> Look at with me in Revelation twelve seventeen, and the dragon was enraged with the woman. This is talking about uh, Satan and the Antichrist and the world system is enraged with Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who are the offspring of Israel? Christians. (laughs) Right? Who are the offspring of the Jews? Christians. We spring out of the soil of Judaism. Out of the Old Testament comes the New Testament. The Old Testament is the first floor. Christianity is the second floor. It's the same house. But a house divided. So, the dragon is ticked off, and he goes to make war with everyone. Everyone, look at what it says, who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, if we weren't supposed to keep the commandments of God, John, you had a perfect opportunity to set the record straight right here, and yet you didn't. Why are you bringing in both? Why isn't it just the testimony of Jesus Christ? Hmm? I'm glad you thought that question. Look at Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Two things are happening here. I have faith, I believe, but I just don't believe without putting something behind that, like something called action. Amen. Amen. And that action is, whatever the commandments of of the Lord are, I'm going to keep those. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Well, how come it doesn't say there, blessed are those who believe in Jesus Christ will have the right to the tree of life and enter through the gates. Why is it just that? Because when it's all said and done, there needs to be uh, uh, more done than said. Let's do this thing. Nike was right in one way. Just do it. So the Lord keeps bringing in these examples commandments and faith, commandments and faith, commandments and faith. And it's a sign in the last days that God's people are not just going to have faith. We need that. Hallelujah. Thank God we got it. But we also need to demonstrate that faith. Come on, somebody, by keeping the commandments of God and breaking Christian news. That includes the Ten Commandments. I know some pastors and preachers don't like to hear that. I, I don't know what their beef is. What's your beef with thou shalt not steal? What's your beef with thou shalt not cancel? What's your beef with all of that? Lying? Oh, I, come on, somebody. Amen. Now, now here's the uh, uh, you know, uh, a little asterisk. Keeping God's laws don't make you a citizen of heaven. Alright? You can, you can uh, be a thief on the cross and confess faith in Jesus and uh, by 3 o'clock that afternoon you be in paradise. Okay? Didn't have time to keep the commandments. But if you're going to be down on the ground and still around for any length of time get busy. Don't be all talking, no action. Amen. All right. Keeping uh, God's laws don't make us citizens of heaven, but they do make us better citizens. Amen. <laughs> Amen. If you want to learn how to live a moral and ethical life, you need to understand God's divine principles from Genesis to Revelation. That's what brings you into that place of power and prosperity and peace and purpose. I hope that kind of helps clear up a little of the confusion here. Uh, We're not talking about some counterfeit means of tricking God into being saved. But as Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, just the one commandment of love. No, go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Go back to his engagement with the rich young ruler. Go back to all the instances in the New Testament, over a thousand instances of the New Testament that somehow go back and connect to the Old Testament. If God wanted the Old Testament abolished, what were they thinking? (laughs) You don't do a thousand references to the Old Testament when you're trying to abolish the Old Testament. The one who wrote Revelation, John the Beloved, said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. I hear a lot of preachers been in this thing for, since the, the, the 80s. Uh, well, uh, we're not under the law, and there's no way you can keep the commandments of God. So don't even try or you negate the grace of God. What a lame answer. That is lame. Well, you mean you, 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 can't, you can't put all your effort behind, I'm not going to commit adultery? Amen. You can't put all your effort behind, I'm not going to steal. You can't put all your effort behind, I'm not going to be a gossip and slander people. I'm not going to covet their stuff and when they're not looking, go in their garage and take their tools. What are you talking about? Of course we can keep those commandments. Now, if we fail in some way or another, we have a, a Lord who will forgive us if we repent and we're sincerely repenting. He'll cleanse us from that craving, that sinful craving. And so, yeah, a lot of times the process is it's not so much that we stumble, it's that we realize eh, I don't want to stumble anymore, Lord. Please forgive me of that. Take remove that thing from my life, that hunger, that craving for to, to act that way, to talk that way, to behave that way, and just give me a flow of righteousness that counteracts that in my life. Amen. Who can do that? Right. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite rabbis is the late, great Rabbi Sachs. And he makes a key point in that when God spoke at Mount Sinai, he revealed himself through Ten Commandments. Out of all the things that God could have done, why does he reveal himself in the form of laws? Maybe he's a law and order God. <laughs> Maybe He likes things done a certain way. I know we want to, as charismatic, just flow with the Spirit. But the Spirit that you're flowing with better line up with what is written. It is written. Amen. Amen. Rabbi said, God just didn't give the Jews 613 legalistic mandates. You're going to take it and eat it whether you like it or not. (laughs) <laughs> Boy, that wasn't the exchange that was going on there. You're my beloved treasure. Every generation needs to make this work in their lives. They need to figure out what are God's divine principles. To the Jew, there were 613. How many ever you, you think that apply to you now, hopefully there's more than just clean up your room. <laughs> Every time I told my kids to clean up your they're, they're, they never did it. The, the, the vision that they had for a clean room was much different than the vision I had. So I had to be a little more explicit. <laughs> Rabbi went on to say it's not just reveal legislation. It's not like God is a bureaucrat and he's at the DMV counter and puts you through all of this aggravation. I've been here. I was number 297. I've been here since 9 o'clock. It's one fifteen, and now I get up here and now you're going to tell me things... Ah! Rabbi said that God's, it represents the Torah, God giving the Torah to Israel, represents uh, that God had faith in our ancestors. You know, all what's going on there is part of Ancestry.com for you and I, right? He entrusted them with the creation of a society that would become a home for his presence and an example to the world. It's not just a legal code. It's a blueprint for how to have a blessed society. Why are you studying all those laws of God? Because there's divine principles. And if I figure out what that divine principle is, normally with the help of a rabbi, I can figure out with the Holy Spirit working in me, is this something I need to pay a little more attention to? Why do I keep taking one step forward and two steps back? Probably because there's a principle that's being violated and my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You're not going to learn all of it by Friday, right? But when you pledged your allegiance, it wasn't, well, I'm in it until Friday and then I'll see how it goes. Is that your commitment of faith? I'm I'm in with you, Lord, until Friday, and if things go my way, I'll I'll be in it for another week or another month, but if things don't go exactly the way I want, I'm out of here. Anybody know somebody that's behaved that way, though? We all know people that have behaved that way. In his essay, Tablets for Living, Rabbi Weiss uh, wrote, the covenant is not about obedience to God's orders. Why would a rabbi write? I thought they were legalistic. Why would he write that? It's not about the adoption of certain customs and practices. The covenant is about the willingness to inhabit a common shared world with God. Wow. Where every aspect and relationship, in life is tinged by the fact that it takes place in His all-embracing presence. For someone who desires to live in his own space, the covenant is an intolerable burden. Right? That's true for Christian or Jew. Well, praise God, as we head towards the finish line here, the Torah doesn't mean legalism. The Torah actually means teachings or pathway. It was never meant to conjure up a negative uh, feeling about the Jewish people and what they hold so dear. One of the secrets of studying the New Testament is to understand that when you see the word law... Are you able to make a distinction what that word law really means? Does it mean Torah, teachings, and pathway? Or does it mean, as it does in many cases, legalism? What kind of legalism? Man-made law. This is the dividing line and how you need to understand that for those of you that grew up in churches that said, we're not under the law! You're not under man-made legalism. What do I mean by that? Some of you ladies in here, according to some denominations, will burn in hell for all of eternity by the way you look. You're wearing earrings. You're not wearing dresses. Your hair isn't up in a bun. (laughs) All right, come on, help me now. You've been there. Some of y'all have been there. You've talked to people that have been there. And and it is a rigid, I am following this thing so strict. I don't know who's going to make it. (laughs) So the root word for Torah is Yara. This is really cool. And it means to shoot straight, to hit the mark, to teach, instruct, uh, and to be a teacher. Torah, Yara. So the Torah in the Jewish mind, and it should be in the Christian mind, is part of our Bible, for goodness sakes. Amen. It's a gift from God that teaches us how to hit the right marks. Amen. So, amen. If, we're not, if we're losing more than we're winning, it just means we're not hitting enough right marks. Amen. And that means we need to reassess the nature of our relationship. What is that? Where am I missing it, Lord? Don't be afraid to ask the Lord that question. Where am I missing it? Why is it always one step forward, two steps back? I seem to be in reverse instead of positive forward motion. Got to, got to figure out where, where to apply a principle. Amen? Amen? So... Yeah, there's, there's so many things that we could get into, but just for the sake of time, this all leads us into a powerful secret from the name of Yitro. Jethro, the name of this Torah study. It's fascinating that Abraham doesn't have a Torah study named after him. Moses doesn't have a Torah study named after him. Many of the great Bible heroes of the Old Testament don't have a Torah. Why Yitro? Because we know who Yitro is. Yitro is a Gentile. Yitro is from Midian, a pagan nation. And he is a pagan priest in the pagan nation. And somehow Moses lands into his household, marries his daughter, and Yitro, Jethro, is now his father-in-law. So there's something going on there. What Lord, what are you trying to tell us here? What are you trying to tell both Jew and Gentile, Jew and Christian? In, in Hebrew, uh, Yitro is from the base word Yeter, which means adding on. Oh my gosh. Adding on. Yitro means adding on. God names the portion with the Ten Commandments, maybe the most important of all Torah portions, in the five books of Moses, after a Gentile whose name means adding on. What is He trying to tell us? That that Gentiles are supposed to be added on. Amen. We're grafted in. Romans 11, right? So Yitro foreshadows what God was showing Paul in Ephesians 2. This whole teaching of the one new man originates here with uh, uh, the Gentile Jethro, Yitro, coming together with Moses and uh, Israel, coming together in unity. Amen, And it's a picture to you and I of what the pattern and what God wants to accomplish even in these last days. And I'll close with this scripture. In Malachi 4, there's a prophecy about the last days. And it says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Last scripture in the Old Testament, in the Christian Old, Test- Old Testament. What's God saying here? There, there's coming a day where the spirit of Elijah is going to be released to announce the coming of the Lord. And as all of that is unfolding, the hearts of the spiritual fathers, which are Israel and the Jewish people in Judaism, are suddenly going to turn back to the Gentiles instead of the Gentiles, Get out of here! (laughs) They're going to be an embracing. And the same for The children, who are the children here? The offspring, the Christians are going to have their heart return to the Jewish people, to learning the Torah, to celebrating the biblical holidays, to try to understand more about our ancestry, not to be ritualistic or legalistic, but for more revelation. And when that happens, there's going to be a revival. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to strike the earth with a curse. I choose the blessing, not the curse. How many of you choose the blessing and not the curse? Well, then embrace your Jewish roots and uh, enjoy the journey. Amen. Amen? Well, do you receive that today?